One of the things I wanted to uh, talk about tonight, this is a continuation of the class that I've been doing on uh, Sunday mornings uh, with the teens, and it just deals with prophecy. And so everything I'm doing here, I'm stealing directly from Brad Harib, so I'll go ahead and give him credit for uh, anything that's good. But um, as, as I've said before, uh, I enjoy prophecy from the standpoint that it's a, it's a faith builder. Um, and the current topic in our class was uh, Jesus on Trial. Now, that's actually the name of a book written by somebody else, uh, but that's kind of the title of this particular uh, this chapter. Um, but there's actually books that are, uh, that are out there that deal with that. It's a guy I follow on Twitter, actually. Uh, the book that he wrote, I think it's Jesus on Trial was the name of the book, and he was an atheist. And uh, his job, he was a uh, police uh, detective who investigated crime scenes. And so he was going to write a book proving that uh, Jesus was a hoax. And so using his the same deduction ability that he used for crime scenes, he went through all the evidence he could find, and now he's a Christian, and he uh, tours all over the country you know, giving his, his talk you know, about the book that he wrote, uh, just dealing with the evidence that he found. Now, we're not going to get into that part of it. Uh, that's kind of what we were talking about uh, this morning in class, just with uh, both friendly and hostile witnesses. But this is the part that we talked about the last two weeks prior. So for one, I want uh, the folks that are in my Sunday morning class to know that what we're talking about is not, you know, fluff that's made for kids. This is something that's uh, just as worthy to be uh, preached from the pulpit as it is in our, in our Sunday morning class, and we can all benefit from it. Um, but the reason that the prophecy came up is it was facts uh, on the behalf of Jesus Christ if he was on trial, things that we could do to prove whether or not he was a real person. Um, so prophecy always deals with that, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, the, the two most famous ones we're not going to really touch on tonight. Um, that's Isaiah 53, which I've done from the Lord's table numerous times, and Psalm 22, which Jim did from the pulpit uh, Sunday night, maybe a month ago. Those two are my favorite. Those are two of the, uh, the most direct. But there's over 300 different Old Testament uh, verses that are uh, Messianic prophecies. And so I just wanted to go through a handful of those tonight. Uh, what's interesting about it is the uh, basically how obscure some of these some of these things are, and they will not have been picked up at the time. But born of a virgin, all right? Did you know that was talked about in Isaiah? Isaiah seven. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: the virgin will conceive, and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, did that really happen? Well. Was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. I think that one's a, a kind of a no-brainer as far as the uh, the New Testament uh, book chapter and verse. But how uh, how much prior to Jesus was the book of Isaiah? I've asked this one from the pulpit before as well. 750 years or so. So let's put that in perspective. Um, this is not, you know, you saying, uh, I predict that I'm going to have pizza for lunch tomorrow. That's one you can control. This is not saying that I'm going to have a son and his name's going to be Austin. 
Again, that's something that you can somewhat control. Uh, this is, to put it in perspective, you know, what was 750 years ago? You know, 1200s, 1300s? So that would be somebody saying, you know, in the Dark Ages that there's going to be a company named Amazon uh, and it's going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, that's the type of, of stuff that we're dealing with here. Let's go to the next one. Born in Bethlehem. That was found in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, you will come out for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And of course, we know the story of, of Christ, that he was born in Bethlehem. Starts in Galilee. Do you know that was prophecy? Again, in Isaiah, 700 plus years before Christ uh, was roaming the earth. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way, the sea beyond the Jordan. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus began his preaching. He says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in the prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And then Galilee is also, um, there was another verse, I don't, I don't remember it offhand. Uh, perhaps somebody can help me out. It was the, uh, somebody asked it kind of uh, uh, ironically or, or in a, a derogatory way, what, what good can come from Galilee? And it was uh, a slight towards Christ because, you know, Galilee was not uh, New York City. It was not something that was a, a fancy metropolitan area. And so, again, in, similar, uh, in a similar manner to Christ being born in a manger, being born to a uh, family that was not of uh, above-average means, uh, Christ started his, uh, his preaching in Galilee. In Psalms, it says that Christ would teach in parables. I'll open my mouth with a parable and I will utter hidden things, uh, things from old. And as we all know, Christ did speak in parables. Uh, oftentimes, the, uh, the crowds didn't understand what they were hearing, uh, and oftentimes it was the disciples. Again, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35 this time, says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That one's extremely specific, isn't it? Healing the blind, hearing the deaf, hearing the lame. We all know the stories whenever Jesus healed the, lame, the, uh, uh, healed the blind, uh, healed the deaf. Uh, one of my favorites is whenever he healed the, uh, the man that had, uh, had been lame from birth. And he got up and jumped. All right, so if someone's in a severe car crash today, you know, our medical teams are advanced enough that they can sometimes put people back together. And so they saved his life. They've even saved the person's legs. Well, what's next? You're discharged from the hospital. Do you walk home? You're going to physical therapy for 
months, if not years, to learn how to walk again. Whenever Christ would heal, he not only healed them, but somehow their body and their brains had the uh, had the connection that they were able to control the control the body just as well as as if they had been walking their entire life. In Matthew chapter nine, it says Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Of course, that's a little bit of a generic verse, but there's uh, many others where he specifically heals the blind, heals the deaf, heals the lame, heals the leper. In the book of Zechariah, there's going to be several that come out of the book of Zechariah. It's not a uh, prophet that we study in an incredible amount, uh, at least not from the pulpit. But in Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your, your king comes to you in righteous uh, and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, it's extremely specific. But at the same time, it's uh, kind of a slight mention. Um, at the time, did people understand that that was going to be messianic? Of course, we know that that was whenever Jesus was riding back into, Jeru into Jerusalem uh, prior to him going on trial. In Matthew chapter 21, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought a, uh, the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit. We've studied this one uh, many times. Uh, in fact, uh, well, in Psalm 41, it says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And I actually used a different verse than what, uh, than what Brad Harib had. Um, if you look at the verse that I picked, I picked John 13, 21 through 27. Um, this one oftentimes has a Lord's table uh, implication. It's something we may uh, read before communion. But I want to read this entire thing simply because um, simply because it is uh, so poignant. It says, after he had said this, uh, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Verily I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss as to know which one of them uh, he meant. One of them, disciples who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned uh, to his disciples and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked them, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece in the bread, uh, dipping the piece of bread he gave to Judas, the son of Simon of Iscariot. And as soon as Judas had uh, took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Again, extremely specific. We studied this last week uh, in my teen class, talking about the uh, in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, I'll read this one to us. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Again, we know what that is. Matthew 26, verse 15, 
what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And that was Judas talking with the high priest. And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And for the, the people that are in my class, what was 30 pieces of silver? Anybody remember what that, what have you got, Robbie? The cost of a slave. Um, so we talked about that and how that had all kinds of uh, deep implications uh, as far as the worth of Jesus as a, as a man is viewed by the world, um, his position as viewed by the world, and to somewhat his position as viewed by himself because he was not here to, uh, to be an earthly king. He was bought for the price of a slave uh, and essentially did his father's will uh, succumbing to death on the cross as a slave to sin, uh, somewhat to take that away from us. So there's all kinds of implications for that particular price. But then going on in Zechariah, uh, the next verse, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they value me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Again, that was simply a continuation on of the, of the, uh, the previous uh, verse out of Zechariah. But in Matthew 27, 3 through 8, when Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is this to us? They replied, This is your responsibility. So Judas took the money and threw it into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put this in the treasury since it's blood money. That's, that verse has always struck me. It's not something that they could give to God because they had used it to pay somebody to uh, murder his son. They didn't see it from that perspective, but that's what it was. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners, and that's why it has been called uh, the field of blood to this day. So again, something as obscure as uh, the, the potter's field mentioned in Zechariah 500 years before Christ was born was fulfilled in Matthew 27. Getting towards the end, I've skipped over lots of the ones that Brad had simply because there's just not time. And again, there's over 300 of them. But in Psalm 34, verse 20, he protects all of his bones and not one of them will be broken. And we know what that, uh, what that is alluding to whenever Jesus was on the cross. It says, now was the day of the preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have his legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. And as we've talked about before, I think Jim's mentioned it numerous times, uh, again, crucifixion was terrible. But on this particular day, um, they did not want the bodies to hang there uh, for people to uh, uh, be, be being crucified on their special Sabbath. So instead of letting them die over the course of several days, 
they were going to take them out that night simply by breaking their legs so they would suffocate faster. Uh, but Christ had already given up his spirit. But after that, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. Again, who was Christ? He was Mary and Joseph's firstborn son, the one that they have pierced. And in John chapter 19, verse 34, that's a continuation on of the previous verse uh, where they were breaking the legs of those that were being crucified. John 19:34. Instead, one of the uh, the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. We discussed that in in class how uh, how that would even be possible. Uh, in the uh, the example that uh, that I gave him, I had uh, I think Austin stand up on something beside me so that he was up above me. And so, if you're up above and you're a Roman soldier. What, what is your weapon? You've probably got a spear. And so they simply stuck it into the side of Jesus so it went underneath his rib cage, didn't break any bones because prophecies already said no bones would be broken. And if he was on this side and Jesus was off to his right, then he probably will have pierced his heart. And my understanding from a medical standpoint is that uh, what Jesus was going through could cause uh, an accumulation of water around the heart. And so that will have been the blood and the water that flowed out. The last one I want to talk about is Isaiah 53. I said I wasn't going to read, but there's just a small piece of it. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and it was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Forgive them, uh, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, which again, even that portion is, was prophecy that was fulfilled out of Isaiah. But this is the biggest one. This is the one that ultimately, out of all the prophecy, this is the one that ultimately matters the most, is the intercession. And I'll read it again, Isaiah 53. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Again, he was being crucified between two thieves. For he bore the sins of many. That's me. That's you. That's everyone in the world. And made intercession for the transgressors. That intercession is the reason we're here. Without that intercession, we have no reason to be here. We were wasting our time. And that intercession was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That intercession is available to every, each and every one here. It's available to each and every one who is not here. Now, unfortunately, uh, for, for the vast majority of the world, in my opinion, based on scripture, this is not something where we have a God who 
uh, is going to say everything's okay. Uh, I know what's in your heart. You're a good person. We're not really going to hold these sins to you. Because God is a just God, uh, that is where fairness and justice come in. Um, I took a note the other day. Uh, somebody said, you know, if, if God really loves us, then he wouldn't punish us for our sins. Okay? Let's take that a step further. Your family was, uh, was murdered, and so you go to the trial of the murderer they caught, and uh, the judge says, well, because I love you, we're not going to punish you for, for murdering all these people. You, you're free to go. You, as somebody who had your family murdered by them, is that justice? Does that feel like uh, that you're loved because the judge loves everybody? That's essentially where we are. But because of the intercession that Christ uh, did on our behalf, uh, again, that's the reason we're here. It allows us to have Christ be the person that takes that punishment for us instead of us, even though we deserve it and he did not. Uh, if at this time, if you've got anything that you need to bring before the church, if there is uh, a burden that you're carrying, if there's sin that you're carrying that you just need help unloading, uh, if you need to put on Christ so that you have an intercessor, because before you put him on in baptism, you don't have that before the Father. But if there's anything that, that we can do as a congregation for you, now is the time to come uh, forward while we stand and sing.